What is your sacrifice? Day by day, what do you give up to God? What do you give up for others? What is your sacrifice? In our series of generosity, we've been learning about the generous character of the Lord, and we're exploring the different currencies that we all have, and we can explore to be, and learn to be generous in all of them, right? And a currency is a medium, a, a, a medium that's able to place value on that we can exchange back and forth, right? And so the different currencies we have, we have financial currency, which we all kind of understand that. We have social, emotional currency. We have relational, spiritual. We've learned about forgiveness as a currency. We're learned as hospitality, love of stranger as a currency. Uh, so we know there's lots of different currencies. Everything you have can be a currency to be generous with, right? And we aren't generous people unless we're generous with all our currencies, right? We can't just be generous with some and then hold back. We are not in the character of our Lord, who is generous with all things. Today, we're going to explore the currency of power. The currency of power. And you're like, oh, I don't have any power. You have power. And here in our culture, particularly our culture in the world today, Money is power. Money is authority. Money is not happiness, right? It cannot buy you love, but it can, and it does provide you power in our culture. It does provide you influence in our culture, right? When we have money or resources, we have more control or seemingly control of the world around us. We might actually have physical control of more property that revolves around this earth, right? I got a quarter of acre. It's mine. I'm in control of it until the government seizes it, right? right, right. But also money, money makes, more money you have is, means you have, you're less vulnerable in the society. You think about our healthcare system. The more money, the access you have, the better access you have to healthcare. Right, so you are, you are less vulnerable than those who are poor. Right, so the more money you have is power, and we won't even talk about political influence where that has. What is your sacrifice? How does your money translate to power in your life? How and where do you freely give up your power for others? Today, we are going to anticipate sacrifice. We're going to anticipate, as we eagerly and wait and look to the Lord and behold Him, we're going to anticipate sacrifice in our life. Now, if you know me, the story that we're going to dive into, you know this is my favorite story in the Scripture. This is my favorite Jesus story. In fact, it is the first story that I heard about Jesus when he was bringing me back. The first story I heard about Jesus. In fact, so much so, I named my second son, right? His, second, his middle name is Zacchaeus, right? Joshua Zacchaeus. He loves that because he can't spell Zacchaeus, <laughs> right? But come on, you get a cool middle name that starts with Z. How cool is that, right? But the point is that the Lord, like, God saves, which is what Joshua means, Zacchaeus. And here's the thing. If God can save Zacchaeus, which you'll learn, he can save anyone, 
If Jesus can save this wretched man, he can save you and anyone else. This is a story about a surprising and extraordinary sacrifice. Knowing Jesus, I mean, not just, just not knowing about him, but being in relationship with Jesus, living with him, demands conversion. Demands change in our life. And not just a little change, complete conversion, complete change is necessary when we are in relationship with Jesus. There is a sacrifice that happens when we know Jesus. I'm going to say that very clearly. There is a sacrifice that happens when we are in relationship with Jesus. And so the point is, right, knowing Jesus changes you. And this isn't about just changing you. Hey, this is going to make me the best version of me, right? I mean, it is but not in the way I said that. It's not about just life improvement. It's not like, hey, you just need some refinement in you. No, knowing Jesus means you need a complete overhaul about you. You need a complete reboot. You need to be born again, which means you need to die to yourself. You need to die to everything you think you know and every way you think you act. You need to die. I'm not saying you physically need to die, right? That's not what I'm saying, right? Jesus is not talking about that. But you need to start over. You are completely, utterly broken. There is nothing good to redeem about you. But Jesus wants to redeem you, all of you. And so he tells this this to, to Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Right, a man of great influence, a great power, a man of great reputation, a good man according to the world. And he has this conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And what does he tell Nicodemus? John 3, 3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To this good person, to this highly powerful, influential person, person, he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to die. You're not good enough. You need to be born again. You need to start this over. And of course, in that story, Nicodemus is like, That's, how, do, how, how, how can I enter into my mother's womb again? Like, he doesn't understand this at all. But later, eventually, Nicodemus, he, it's not that Nicodemus needs some approval. He needs a complete Reboot, wipe clean, start over, die, and be born again. And that's what all of us ha- needs to happen to us. Now, in this story this, this morning, Zacchaeus, he is not such a good man. He is not in the reputation of Nicodemus. No one liked Zacchaeus. And there's good reasons. Because he did not act like a good man. He was a wretched man by the world standards and by God's standards. In fact, what this this passage is really trying to get you to understand is that Zacchaeus is the worst person you can imagine in your life. So let's picture that. Whoever that worst person is, the worst person you could ever imagine in your life, Zacchaeus is that person. Luke 19, 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now what we need to know, right, is there's there was, in this culture, there were sinners, and then there were tax collectors. 
Now, we kind of get that. Yeah, okay, none of us really. Like, if you said you work for the IRS, we have lots of jokes about you, right? Uh, But, like, that is nothing to what a tax collector would have been there. Like, there are sinners, and they would probably got, like, murderer sinners. And then there's tax collectors, because what a tax collector was, what the Israelites, they were occupied by Rome. And so Rome acted really like a mob boss. Rome's job is to keep you all under control, to understand that we are in power, that we have authority, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to extract your wealth from you, penny by penny, dime by dime, everything we get. And so they tax the people. But Rome, being wise, they solicited their own peoples, whatever country they were invading, and so they solicited Israelites to be tax collectors, to tax other Israelites to give to Rome. And so those tax collectors were taxing their own people for a foreigner invader, and they're basically just saying, hey, we're going uh, to shake you down. We're going to shake you down and extract the money you can and give it to Rome, and here's how a tax collector made their money. They overtaxed and put it in their pocket. Right? So Zacchaeus is a traitor. He is betraying God's people, and then he's benefiting from it. He's becoming, right, he's not just a good tax collector, he's a really good tax collector because he's rich. And so Zacchaeus has a lot of power because of his wealth. He has a lot of security. I mean, no one likes him, but he has power influence because he's connected closer to the ones that really have the power in their world, the Romans. Right now, the Romans have more power. But he has more power and influence because he gives them what they want. Zacchaeus is not a good man. right? And, and beyond that, not just rich, he was a chief tax collector. So he's probably ahead of lots of tax collectors. And so he's probably taxing them and getting them off of their skimming off of what they're skimming as well, too. I mean, we, we could probably say that he was a, uh, in today's verbiage, he's a corrupt capitalist. Like, he's the worst thing that you can imagine, harming the poor. Zacchaeus was a powerful man, and he would not have been desperate in this culture, in this world, because he had influence, and he had money, and he had power. But like Nicodemus, Zacchaeus needed to be converted. Regardless of worldly status, Regardless of your power or your wealth, Jesus says, all of you need to be converted. All of you need to die and be born again. All of you need to be fully, totally converted. Something needs to start again. We all need to die and we all need to be born again. So what is this conversion? What is this conversion that you and I need? Now, sometimes we stand up and we have some testimonies, and they're dramatic stories, right? You've heard some dramatic conversion stories. I have a pretty dramatic conversion story. I'm not going to share it with you. Normally with this passage, I would share you my dramatic conversion story, but I'm not going to. Because sometimes those are really helpful for people, but oftentimes they're not very helpful for the rest of us. Because most of us, in our day-to-day life, there's not a dramatic conversion that happens, It is a slow drudge in a relationship with Jesus. 
And there's change that happens. It's just hard for us to see it at times until we, we pull back. But some of us, we have moments like there's instantaneous, there's a miraculous right, conversion. But here's why this is not always helpful. Because in my experience, and we talk about this, right? We want to be in relationship with people because here's what we know about life. It's hard. We know life is hard, and we know hard things happen, and we know crises happen. But here's my experience. A lot of people with crises, they come to the church, they come seeking the Lord until that crisis is resolved. And when that crisis is resolved, they're out because they're back in control and they're back okay. Because it wasn't really just about what God wanted to do with them. It was about fix my crisis, fix my situation. Here, here's what you need to know plainly about Jesus. He's not really interested in fixing your situation. He's interested in a total overhaul in who you are. Total conversion. And so we get this even in the, the stories of the gospel, right? There's lots of people, even in this story, there's lots of people following Jesus. And we find out most of them are following Jesus because he's got power, like physical power. He's performing miracles. And so they come to Jesus, hey, resolve this issue. Resolve this physical pain. Resolve this demon. He resurrect my child. Do this. They come to him as a miracle worker. And what we find out as you go further and further in the story of Jesus, Jesus is not so much interested in doing that. He does these miracles. But the people that actually are seeking those miracles, they all fall away. All of them. And the further and further you get into the story of Jesus, the closer and closer he gets to the cross. People go, hey, I'm not comfortable with that Jesus. That Jesus is asking a little too much from me. And they back away. Because it's no longer about providing for them what they think they need. But he's giving them what they really need. So these dramatic conversion stories aren't always very helpful, although they can be. Because the point is that all of us, right, this is conversion. Die to our old self. Die to our old way of thinking. Be born to the kingdom way. And really, you can't construct that. You have to be totally dependent upon him teaching you what that is from the inside out. This is why that we are committed at this church to the authority of this word. Because it's God who speaks this word. And so we want to know. It directs our life and our thoughts. We need complete conversion. Luke 19, 3-4. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. I'm still talking about what conversion is. Because he was small in stature. So he, Zacchaeus, ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. So, I mean, here's what's happening. Basically, there's a parade going on. Jesus is walking. We know he's actually walking through to Jericho. He's actually going to the cross. They don't all know that, even though he's told his disciples clearly this is what's going to happen. But he's, he's waking his way through the country of Israel, and he's going to the cross, and people are flocking to him, lying in the streets, falling behind him because they want to see what he's going to do next. They want access to his power. They want healing. And so everyone is seeking to know him and to be known by him. And Zacchaeus, like everyone else, was curious about who Jesus was. It'd be natural. This is a pretty big event. 
Like, this would be like, you know, the president would come or the pope would come. We'd be curious. Like, let's go check out what this is all about. And so, what does he do? Right? We're told he's small in stature. So, you know, when you're in a parade, right, you put the kids in front or you put the kids on the shoulder. Like, you can't put a grown man on your shoulder, right? Pretty undignified about that. Plus, no one really liked Zacchaeus at all. No one did really like it. It's not like... So, he persistent in what he was, he climbed a tree, which would be really still undignified. We wouldn't think it that undignified for a man. We'd just think, man, he's pretty youthful, right? Most of us grown adults wouldn't climb a tree just because our bones creak when we do that, right? But Zacchaeus is eager enough, like, I'm going to go up, I'm going to be undignified, and I'm going to, because I want to see him. I can't see him. I want to see what's going on. So what we, no, he, he ran. He didn't want to miss out. And Climbed a tree, so he was persistent. And what we also know that's implied by this is that Zacchaeus is pretty open-minded. So I want to know who Jesus is. I want to figure out what this guy is all about. I want a glimpse of it. Much like Nicodemus was pretty open-minded. Like, I want to know. This guy's pretty fascinating. I want to know more about him. So Zacchaeus is persistent and intellectually open. I just want to pause there for a moment. Those are really two keys in life. Persistence and intellectually open. Hey, whether you believe in Christ or not, this is what I would recommend. Pursue knowing about him. Just get some head knowledge about him. Be persistent about that. And then be intellectually open-minded whether it's true or not. That's all, that's all I'm asking, because I think that's what Zacchaeus does. Like, he's open-minded, and he's persistent about it. Conversion, this new birth, this salvation, which is what Jesus calls conversion, is not what we do. Is not, the conversion of Zacchaeus is not his seeking is not his persistence, is not his open-minded. I want you to understand that clearly. That's a good place to be, and I will recommend you to be in that place. But that's not conversion. We do not convert ourselves. It is not the change that Zacchaeus does in himself. You'll see it in a moment. Hear this very clearly. Salvation, conversion, new birth, the gospel is, this is it. You are not good enough. I think I expressed that very clearly. You are not good enough. You are like Zacchaeus. But here's the incredible thing. Jesus is. Jesus is good enough. And we are saved because we are in him. We are united to him. That's how we're saved. That's how we're converted. That we belong to him. That we are in this intimate relationship with him in which he seeks us out. That's conversion. We're not good enough, but he is, and we belong to him. So it's not like saying, hey, I'm better than you because I know Jesus. No, I'm just as wretched as you are, but I know Jesus. I think you should know him too. Let me introduce you to him. I mean, that, that's, that's the essence of Christianity. That's the essence of the gospel, and that's the essence of the stature that we had to have with all people. Jesus saves us, and our path to complete conversion, the fruit of that is a joyful response, a thankfulness. 
Luke 19.5, just to hammer this point to see what conversion is in this story. And when Jesus came up to the place, he's under the tree, he looked up and said to him, now he's never met this man before. How does he know his name? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And listen, verse 9. Verse 9 says similar words. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Today and house salvation, I must stay. Since he is the son of Abraham. Did you, I want you to see, what, like, it's almost like Jesus is repeating himself. What is the gospel here? The gospel is here. Jesus says, looks up says, Zacchaeus, look at, I need to be in a relationship with you. And he flips, like, and, he, and really, in the second, in verse 9, he says, Zacchaeus, you belong to me today, which is the gospel. You're not good enough, but he is, and you belong to him. And Jesus, out of no merit, out of... Zacchaeus says, Zacchaeus, you belong to me today. And notice how he flips hospitality, right? This Zacchaeus is a stranger, seemingly, to Jesus. And he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. But who's the host? I mean, yeah, I mean, sir, Zacchaeus probably fed Jesus, and he's the host. But Jesus is the host. He's the one inviting, because we learned last week that a home is not a place here on earth. That is a shadow. Jesus is inviting Zacchaeus. Right? He flips the whole thing around and says, I am your shelter. I am your sanctuary. I am your rest. I am your salvation. Hey, come into me. Come with me. You belong to me. I must do this. And when Jesus says he must do something, it gets done, doesn't it? It's not like, hey, can I come over to your house today, Zacchaeus? No, no, I must stay at your house today. And look at everyone wanted to hang out with Jesus in that moment. Everyone wanted to hang out with him. And so we heard right later, the crowds grumble. Because we learned right last week, right, that hospitality, being, having a dinner, having a meal, that was intimate relationship. That was power. That was influence. That you wanted to be next to the people like that. And so when Jesus says, who seemingly has all this power, says to Zacchaeus, I'm going to dine with you. He says, look at him and I belong to each other. Him and I belong to each other. And everyone knew Zacchaeus didn't earn this. He did not merit this. Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst. Jesus just flips hospitality. Like he flips everything up, die down in our world, doesn't he? I mean, that, this is what the gospel is. It flips everything upside down in the world. But it's not us about inviting Jesus. It's about Jesus inviting us. Jesus makes our home, our home in friendship with him. This casual friendship, a deep, intimate friendship with him. Conversion, salvation, the good news is Jesus is calling. He is calling and inviting us into a relationship with him. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, and he says to us, today, I must stay with you. You're not good enough but I am. And you belong to me. Those are incredible words. That's conversion. That's the good news. So how, what does this conversion, what does this salvation look like in our life? 
Luke 19.6. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. I mean, there's nothing else that he does. Right? He just comes down. He jumps out of this tree, and he receives Jesus joyfully. I mean, he probably does a heel kick. I don't know. I mean, this is exciting stuff. And Luke 19.8, and Zacchaeus, this is immediately, no one prompts him. Jesus doesn't ask this. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus doesn't ask this. This is just his response. We don't know why he responds this way. But this is just his response to have a converted heart. Jesus jumps out, Zacchaeus jumps out of the tree, receives the invitation from Jesus, and he says, Behold, here and now, Lord, look, 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 Jesus. I'm going to give, I'll give half my, my wealth, my possessions, my goods to the poor. I, I, mean, I can just see Jesus like, think about it here, like, all right. <laughs> okay, that's okay, that's good. I, I didn't ask that, but all right, we'll go. And this is, if I defrauded anyone, I will give. Four times about. Here's, I mean, here's the context, which everyone would have known, right? This is Old Testament, biblical law context, right? So we know, and we talk about it here at church, giving in tithes, right? The standard, the law, the expectation is that 10% tithe goes to the poor, goes to the priest, right? That's, that's, that is standard in Old Testament law. And if you defraud anyone, right, it's 20% over the top, right? So 100%. Plus 20%, you got to pay back, right? And what, is, what does Zacchaeus do? He ups the ante. He knows this truth. He says, look, it, I'm going to give 50% of all I have to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone. And what do you know about Zacchaeus? He, he did defraud everything he owned. I, mean, I don't even think Zacchaeus doesn't really know what he's saying in this moment. He's, he's so joyful and excited. He just utters these things out. And like, if I've defrauded anyone, 400%, like, so 400%, that is four times what you have, Zacchaeus. You can't do this. I mean, Jesus doesn't respond to that. I, I'm sure Jesus just chuckles. Okay, let's, let's go get that meal, Zacchaeus. <laughs> let's, like, we'll, we'll figure this out when we get there. But the point is, did you see the response? It's so over the top, generous and absurd. I mean, it, perhaps it's hyperbole here. But I think it's just excitement. Zacchaeus has a spontaneous sacrifice that is amazing and incredibly generous. This is not as a sacrifice of money, though. This is a sacrifice of influence. This is a sacrifice of power. Because Zacchaeus can't remain a tax collector, can he? He cannot remain a tax collector. If he's following Jesus. I don't know if Zacchaeus understands that totally in that moment. But I'm sure in the following days, he begins to get it. But in the moment, he actually understands that all his money is not worth Like, it's my influence, my power, my, my control, my vulnerability. That is not important. What's important is you, Lord. What's important is you. But this amazing sacrifice is not the sacrifice that this passage talks about. And it's not the sacrifice I'm talking about today. You see, the gospel salvation and the, and the 
version is not about how good you are, right? It's not about how much you can sacrifice. The gospel is how good Jesus is. The gospel is how much he sacrifices for us. I want you to understand that so clearly. It's not about Zacchaeus' sacrifice. It's not about you and I's sacrifice. It's about Jesus' sacrifice for us. You see, what Jesus does, he sacrifices his reputation. He sacrifices his power, his worldly power. He, he sacrificed his life for Zacchaeus' life. In that moment, all those people are like, what is wrong with Jesus? Maybe he's not the guy we think he is. He wouldn't be hanging out with Zacchaeus if he was. As Zacchaeus climbs down from the tree, Jesus gets nailed to a tree because it's not about Zacchaeus' sacrifice. It's not about you and I's sacrifice. It's about his sacrifice, him dying, taking on our penalty, all of our sins on the cross, all of the wrath of the Father upon him that we deserve. He takes that. That's a sacrifice. That is the sacrifice. That is the one and only and last sacrifice Jesus makes at the cross. So you and I can have new birth, new life, be rebooted. Jesus gives up his power. He comes down from heaven, gives up that authority in that moment, and comes down and becomes one of us. Takes our place, intercedes on our behalf, so that we might share in the kingdom. That we might have the power that he has. The sacrifice is Jesus' invitation, and his invitation is through the cross. And it's an invitation that is more generous, more abundant, and more gracious than any amount of money, anything that else that Zacchaeus could give away, and anything that you and I can give away combined. Jesus' sacrifice is the sacrifice. You see, you and I are dead people. And here's what we know about dead people. Dead people don't do things. Right? If you see a dead person talking, you kind of freak out about that. Not a good thing. Dead people can't make sacrifices. They've got nothing to offer. And that's the point. That's the spiritual point in which this gospel is trying to say. You have nothing to offer God. And yet he still loves you. And he's going to give you new life. And an ability to offer that new life. The only power in which you and I have, John 1, 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The only power that you and I have is the power to be called children of God. That's not really our power, is it? Verse in John explicitly said that's his power to give. I mean, we receive it, but it's his power to give. The only power is to be invited to dinner. 
The only power is to be invited into relationship with Jesus. The only power is to have his hospitality, his stranger love for us. The only, the only power we have is that he prepares a home for us. The only power we have is the power that he gives us because he is the one that is all-powerful. The only possession that we have is that we are his possession. The only sacrifice we can make is that he makes the sacrifice for us. Zacchaeus' spontaneous and perhaps over-eager response is a response to Jesus' sacrifice for him. Jesus' generous and gracious invitation to Zacchaeus. When we talk about sacrificial giving in any currency that you want to talk about, but in this scripture and in this moment, right, it's talking about money and it's talking about power. We understand that it is not our sacrifice. It's Jesus' sacrifice. And in comparison to anything that we give, it is nothing in comparison to what he gives. Because it's not about the money when we give financially. It's not about the money. You know what it's about in our world? It's about giving up power when you give money. It's about giving up control. Are you willing to be more vulnerable in the world. That's what you ask when you give money. Am I being to be more vulnerable or do I need to have more control and need to be more secure? Are you willing to be less in control? I mean, here's the reality. You're not in control anyway. Are you willing to be less, perceive yourself in control? Are you willing to give your power, your influence to others that need more power, that need more security in this world because they are more vulnerable than you? Zacchaeus' joyful response to Jesus' sacrifice is about first giving up control and becoming more vulnerable to the world. He gives his wealth He gives his money, he gives his means of protection, and he gives his power away, all in that moment. And he gives it to Jesus. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when Jesus goes after the Old Testament, and he goes after the, uh, he's not going after the Old Testament, he's going after the Pharisees' understanding of the Old Testament, right? He goes after the real main pillars in their life. He goes after uh, tithing and fasting and he goes after giving and forgiveness and purity. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't wash away any of those. He doesn't change any of the standards. He's just saying, Pharisees, your understanding of all those standards is so limited. But my understanding is a little bit higher. And he actually makes them incredibly more difficult, those standards. He makes the holy of God this more understanding because, listen, he says, it's not about the actions that you do. It's the thoughts that you have before those actions. That's what I'm talking about. So if you're angry with your brother, you're actually murdering them. If, if you're lusting after someone, you've actually committed adultery with them. Like, oh, come on. 
Because here's what you and I know. It's deep within inside of us that needs to be reborn. And so I want you to understand, even in our giving, why would it be anything else? Just to say, hey, don't just give to the standard of this world. Don't just give to the standard of generosity in comparison to the people around you or to what they... He said, I have a different standard. This is a kingdom standard. Jesus shows us what it is. Forgive in impossible ways, right? In impossible ways because it's possible with Jesus. Sacrifice in impossible ways, which is nothing like the sacrifice of Jesus because that's the path that he takes. I said, this is, we are rewired. We are not like anyone else in this world because everyone else is dead. You have to be alive. The standard of 10% really is just the, is just the beginning of giving and the understanding that Jesus begins to give. And, I, I, and I'm not saying give everything you have away. That's not the point of this passage. The point is follow Jesus. Follow him. Be counterculture. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's be counterculture in your behavior, be counterculture in your, your giving. Here's what I, in the context of this moment in the world we live in right now, hey, Christians, we have to be counterculture in our voting as well, too. We should not be voting the same way, I mean, like literally the same way, we, the method, right? we can cross the line, right? We should not be voting in the same way and there's for the same reasons that the rest of the world is. I'm not telling you who to vote for. And I'm telling you there's lots of different reasons of who you can vote for and why you can, but you ought not to think like the world. You ought to think like a Christian. You ought to think like a follower of Jesus. And then you need to really reflect. Are those candidates, are those policies, the policies of the kingdom, Hey, this should be counterculture. That's all I'm saying. And you, you, you need to have that talk with God. Not with me. I really don't care what you do. <laughs> don't talk to me about it. Hey, last week I told you, uh, Jesse and I, right, our giving isn't always sacrificial. I mean, we give 10% or more, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect our power. It doesn't affect our vulnerability at all. We need to learn to give more. Because we need to learn to be who followers of Christ more. Zacchaeus could give 10% to the poor. He can give 120% restitution. But that wouldn't be sacrificial for him, would it? It wouldn't be sacrificial at all. The reality is the more money you have, and the, the more power you have, and the less vulnerable you are. And Jesus is calling us to be vulnerable. Not just for the sake of being vulnerable, but to that faith to actually understand who you are because he knows that we already are vulnerable. But we put this perception of all these worldly currencies, think, I, I'm not vulnerable, I'm safe, I'm protected. And Jesus said, no, actually become vulnerable because that's really who you are. Because I'm the one that is your shield. I'm the one that's your protector. I'm the one that's your provider of the things that you really need that are eternal. Stop holding on to the temporal. And so when we give at all, in any currency, it's the idea to be sacrificial, to understand that we're not in power and that we are actually invulnerable, that he's in power and invulnerable. That's the point of our giving. 
It's to teach us that. God, God doesn't need your finances. God doesn't need the power that you think you're giving up or your vulnerability. He already has it. It's all his. But he's working in you. He's converting you. And the reality is the wealthy you are, it, the, the more likely you need to give more money because that's just the situation you're in. Because I know that money, and he knows that money, puts a false sense of security in your life and a false sense of power. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about communism here. We're not, this is not mandated. This is kingdomism. And God says, freely give. Freely give. Learn to freely give. Learn to be generous. Learn that it's not your sacrifice, but it's my sacrifice. Our giving is never sacrifice. It is always joy. Our giving is never sacrifice. It's always joy. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now he begins to make sense because it's not sacrifice. It's joy, and that's what Zacchaeus' response was, joy. So what is your sacrifice? That was the question I had for today. It's not yours, is it? It's Jesus' substitutional sacrifice on our behalf. Our giving, our generous giving, with whatever currency that we have, is our joy. So our sacrifice is our joy. Giving power to others. Serving them as Jesus has served us. Right, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To be a host to others. To love the stranger. Our giving of power, time, resources, talents is a sign, is a fruit of the conversion which Jesus has secured and is doing in us. It is the fruit of his work and his sacrifice for us. If you want to know generosity, you need to know Jesus. Better yet, be known by him. Let us eagerly look to his sacrifice. Let us joyfully respond to his sacrifice, his generosity, by modeling his sacrifice in his life, in our financial giving, and all of our currencies. Let us submit our power and our control to the one who has all power, who has all control, who is the sovereign king, our Lord Jesus. Let us anticipate his sacrifice for us, in us, and through us. Let us pray. Dear gracious Father,